0: So glad y'all are here this morning. We're going to begin by looking at 2 Peter chapter 1. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, we've been looking at some habits, some things that need to be in Christians' lives. You know, it's obvious in so many ways how Christians should live, but in 2 Peter Second Peter, excuse me, chapter 1, beginning at verse 3, we see some specific attributes that he says need to be in your life as believers. For a particular reason. Let's look at it. And so it says His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He's granted to us His very precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith, and it lists some things. Add this to what you're doing. Put these things, make sure these habits are in your life. And he says, add this, supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with, say that, self-control. Self-control is what we're talking about today. And self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. And then it goes on to say this. Four, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, which means they're productive, they're, if they're increasing, they're active, right? So you are actively being uh, exhibiting self-control. They will keep you, and this is why this is so important and why we're focused on it, they'll keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. And as a, as a Christian, we want to be effective and fruitful people. And in every aspect of our lives, that's something that we hope for, that we'll be effective, that we'll be fruitful people. It says, in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But then it says something interesting, because if you don't have these qualities, it says that this person, if they lack these qualities, they're so nearsighted that he's blind. I, I've really understood the whole nearsighted, farsighted kind of thing lately. I've always, I've always had glasses since I was a kid. But all of a sudden there's a switch now where it's not just far away. Now my, my arms aren't long enough. But the whole nearsighted thing is what? You can see up close. But if you're so nearsighted that you're blind, what he's saying is you're so focused on yourself that you're blind and you've forgotten that you were cleansed from your former sins. You forgot what Jesus did. And so let's look at self-control today. This is an aspect that we definitely want to have in our life as a Christian, I think it's probably one of the most important ones, to be honest with you, for, for many reasons. I, wanted to, to think, <laughs> I want you to consider this for a second, the whole aspect of, of self-control. Uh, I have been, and this is a fortuitous moment for me, I've been on a journey for the last, well, almost eight weeks now trying to lose weight. So self-control, right, if you're trying to lose weight, is always at the top of your mind, how am I going to handle Thanksgiving, you know? It might be only one day, but I've done so good, I've lost over 20 pounds. But if I get to Thanksgiving and I blow it, yeah, it's one day, but what will the next day be like? Can I, can I maintain self-control? It's important because, you know, if, you, if you're trying to lose weight, if you're trying to get in shape or whatever, the trainer as well that you go after, if you were to pick out a trainer, you're probably looking for someone that's what? Give me some descriptions of a trainer that you would pick if you're trying to lose weight, get in shape or whatnot, Eric, let's start with you, man um, encouraging. encouraging, okay, yeah motivating, not fat, thank you <laughs> because you're trying to become kind of you know typically you pick out a trainer, you want to become like that trainer as much as you can you know I know you were talking with Jordan's getting ready to go off to off to the citadel, and so he's like. He's lost, how many pounds have you lost, dude? About 50 pounds. That's, ridiculous. that's like clap worthy, if you ask me. That's pretty, inc- that's some serious, had to be some serious self-control, I'm sure, compared to, to maybe how you ate before, how you, you know, but I know that he's just got a trainer, and I know that they told me this guy is like just buff, skinny. That's the kind of guy you go after if you're going to get a trainer. The encouragement and all that stuff is definitely very important, but the most obvious thing is that. But what if the trainer that you're going, that you're trying to get, you find out after you've paid the money and the deposit that he has a, well, you would see this up front, so this doesn't make sense, but he he has a weight problem, you know. He has a problem with cheesecake. He's got a problem with pizza and burgers, and he's not quite as committed during the week. He maybe works out, you know, once a week, you know, doesn't eat the right kinds of foods, and you're like, I just don't know if this is the guy that really needs to be my trainer. He's got a self-control issue, okay? You know, there are some things that when you look at a trainer that you would expect to be in his life, and self-control would probably have to be one of those. You know, in, in many offices today, there's, there's always the promotion that comes up, right? There's a promotion that comes up in offices, and, and they look at people and see if they're qualified, their qualifications. And you might even have all the right qualifications, but then you find out this one person has one particular problem, they don't have the self-control to get out of bed and to get to work on time. And so they're always late, right? If you have an employee that's always late, you're more than likely think, ah, if they're always late, maybe they're not going to be able to handle deadlines. Maybe they're not going to be able to handle all these other things. So even just in the general world, we can understand how important it is to have self-control. But as a believer, as, as a Christian, having self-control is huge. Okay? To live a life that honors God, to really experience real life, the full life and the peace that God wants for us, we need to exhibit self-control. But also in the aspect of being effective, if you're wanting to share Jesus with other people, and they're going to listen to you, they're going to want to see someone that has that ability of self-control in their life as well, because everyone else they see is living life this way, and they would expect you to be living life a completely different way. And so self-control is huge in the life of a Christian. We're going to look at some passages that will kind of meet some of this out. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. I think we've got everything on the screen today. This is a really interesting passage from Proverbs. It's very simple. It says this, that a man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls you don't have self-control, it's like a city that's been broken into, and you've all seen those movies back in the Middle Ages, right, where, you know, the battle's coming, and and the guys have all the doors closed and and barricaded, and then what's the biggest thing? The biggest first step is always to what? It's to breach the wall. They're throwing ladders up there, trying to get over the wall, you know, to to get in, but the biggest thing is they've got this big battering ram, right? How many movies can we count that we've seen battering rams, you know and they're all like, the guys are on the other side holding it down. They're dumping oil and lighting it on fire on the other side of it, trying to stop. Because as soon as the wall comes down, what happens? They're going to flood in. It's, it's truly, when the walls come open, it's the beginning, if not the end. It's, it's defeat, isn't it? And so a person that does not have self-control, he says, is like a city that's been broken into and left without walls. There's no defense. There's, things are not all, the ducks are not lined up in a row. It's just chaos. So self-control is important. It's interesting, we go all the way back in, the, in, in Genesis chapter 4, and there's this interesting lesson literally, literally between God, and when he, when he talks to, to Cain back in Genesis. Do we have that in there, David? And so in Genesis uh, chapter 4, verse 7, boom, okay. He's, he's talking to, to Cain, and he says to him, he says, If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. Sin is crouching at the door. In fact, it's, it's a battering ram, if you will. It's trying to get into your life. It says, but its desire is for you, but what? You must rule over it. Some versions, you must master it. So how do you master it? Well, there's this aspect of, of self-control. Self-control is, is, is huge. Again, let's look at Proverbs 16.32. 16.32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And this is interesting. And he who rules his spirit or controls his spirit, right, stronger, if you will, than he who takes a city. It's harder to have self-control. It's harder to rule yourself. It's more strength to rule yourself, even than one that says that would take a city. Pretty interesting. It's important as well because when we consider this, let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1. What God calls us to, to do and to be is... is pretty specific. He gives us this. He says in First Peter, he says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he says this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. In other words, the way that you used to live. Don't get stuck in all those passions. Don't get stuck in all those old sinful ways. But it says this: But as he who called you is holy, as God is holy, how holy is God? <laughs> You're like, duh, right? He's perfect. As he is holy, as, as he who called you is holy, so also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, You shall be holy, for I am holy. He's called us to live a holy life. Why does that matter? You know, Proverbs chapter 10, 16, I know it's kind of shotgunning scripture at you today, but I want you to see this that's it, in there. It says, Whoever is slow to anger, no, there we go. The wage there we go, the wage of the righteous leads to what? Leads to life, but the gain of the wicked to sin. The whole point of, of why we're called a real life church is our, it's our desire to for for people to experience real life. And the only one who knows what real life is all about is the giver of life, God himself. And understanding that living the way he calls us to live is the true and fullest experience of life that you can possibly have. It all comes from him. But the wage of the righteous, wage is something that you earn, if you will. The wage of the righteous, a righteous life, leads to life. It's a very life-giving way to live. It just makes sense. If you have self-control in your life, you'll be able to live a righteous life, which, which is a full and life-giving kind of life to live. Now, that being said, you know, we all agree self-control, I think, probably is pretty important. You have to exhibit it in so many different ways, from the smallest ways to the big way. And this is not so much a small way necessarily, but you don't think about it. Just driving back and forth, what kind of self-control do you have to exhibit driving? And you're already thinking that I'm like talking about being irritated at other drivers, since that's been something I've talked about. But how about just staying inside what? Inside the lines, okay? That's, that's a, a very basic, simple form of self-control, staying inside the lines to get from point A to point B. If you don't exhibit the self-control, to stay with inside the lines, it could be deadly, couldn't it? It could be very deadly. It's hard, however, to exhibit self-control in some areas of our life. One of the things I've struggled with, of course, is, is trying to change the way, try to change old habits as far as eating is concerned. A couple of weeks ago, um, we had Bible and Brew, and we were at uh, Carolina Ale House. And, and Daryl, I wish he was here today. He's probably away for Thanksgiving with some other family. But he came in at the end and said, Shh, I got something for you. And I'm like, well, what's he going to give me? And Daryl just loves to cook and, and, and especially loves to smoke meats. And he brought in this, this half rack of ribs that he had smoked that day. And it was just, and I opened up the bag and smelled it and it was just ridiculous how good it smelled. You know, just mouth-watering, Food. Okay. But the only problem with the kind of diet that I've been on is that ribs typically are a very, <laughs> a very fattening kind of food. That's just the nature of ribs, you know, and that stinks. Doesn't mean you can't have them, right? But the amount of ribs that I could probably enjoy on the particular diet that I was on was very small. To exhibit that kind of self-control, this half rack of ribs I made, I would have normally just tore into and had down in five minutes. I cut one little, cut it in in force and ate this one little rib like over the next, you know, week and a half. I stretched out just the opportunity to be able to enjoy Daryl's ribs. It's hard. It's hard to exhibit self-control. But I want, I want to encourage you this morning by what Scripture says. Because it says this in, in 2 Timothy. This is the kind of spirit that we have. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, First of all, a believer in Christ, the Bible teaches that when you become a Christian, that and it's mysterious in some ways, that God himself, the Spirit of God, comes and indwells you. It gives you the power and the strength to live life. It gives you the power and strength to exhibit self-control. To, we'll see other things it says here in a minute. In 2 Timothy, it says, God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but this kind of spirit, but of power and love and self-control, that's what the Spirit of God looks like in someone's life. Power, love, that's a huge word right there, and then self-control. That's what He's given us, okay? That's, so that's encouraging, all right? So I guess, God, you know, if I'm going to really live the life you want me to live, you've given me what I need. Well, this is the fruit of the Spirit, and you've heard this passage before in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit... Okay, or the evidence of the Spirit of God, right? is this. It's love, it's joy, it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness, and, and it's what? It's self-control. Against such things there is no law. These are the things that, that should be huge, that should be very evident, that should stick out in a Christian's life. These are attributes that when they would see you, they would describe these things in you as a Christian, okay? So self-control is a fruit of the Spirit of God in our life. Now, the thing that I've always really struggled with and wondered is, if that's what the Spirit of God is in my life, I'm not sure I always know how to, to, for lack of a better way to put it, how do you tap into that, you know, that strength from God? Because we look at our lives sometimes and we think of, of mistakes we've made in the past. Why didn't I have self-control there? Why didn't I have self-control in that moment? You know, why am I not exhibiting that, that power and love and self-control? Why am I not exhibiting joy and peace and, and patience, right? I'm sure there were some times over, um, over Thanksgiving maybe you were impatient, you know. Maybe you were starving and you were ready for the meal. Be ready? Who knows? I don't know what your Thanksgiving was like but these things should be in our life. So what does it mean, and how do we really tap into that? I want to look at a couple other passages in Galatians, well, same, same chapter. five, sixteen, and 17 says, says this. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh." For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. In other words, there's a a battle going on, which is where the the part of self-control comes in, right? There's this battle of your your old life, if you will, versus the Spirit of God. But what he says is to do this, is to walk by the Spirit or walk in the Spirit. You kind of know, what, what what does that mean? Because it says if you do that, you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh or, or sinful things, okay? In Galatians 5.25, a little bit later on, it says this. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. You know, basically what, what happens here is as you read Scripture, as you, as you live the Christian life, God speaks to you and He tells you things. And He uh, taps you on the shoulder, if you will, in many ways. There's, it, the, the conscience of a Christian believer is not really just a conscience, it's the Spirit of God who shouts much louder um, than, well, should uh, shout much louder in every aspect of your life. That Yes, this is the way to walk, if you will. Go this way. Do this. Do that. Don't say this. We understand that it's God speaking because of what Scripture has to say. The Spirit of God will never tell you to do something that Scripture doesn't confirm, okay? So if someone sounds a little bit nutty to you, um, well, you can see what Scripture has to say. The Lord's never going to tell you to do something that you don't find in here, okay? That can't be confirmed in Scripture. But what this is saying is to keep in step with the Spirit. When God tells you to do something, to do it, to follow Him. And, you know, there's this... There's this great uh, thought that comes to my mind because you know I, I sit on the front porch a lot when I do some when I do my studying. And one of the things I see in my neighborhood all the time are people walking dogs. Okay, typically what you see is what you see. Well, what I, unless the dog is like super well trained, you see this dog kind of what pulling someone. Have you ever had a, a dog like that or have a dog like that? And you're like no, come back. you know you're always constantly trying to pull it back, or the dog is just pulling pulling you forward. In my case, I've got, I've got Brady, this tiny little furball Shih Tzu dog who I've tried to put a collar on and to walk with him to get him outside. He's only, you know, his, his legs are this big, so it's not like he was built for much of a walk, but the problem is, is he doesn't want to walk at all. I would be going along, and he would, you'd have to be, like, dragging, like, this dust mop behind you. He didn't want to go and it just kind of made me think about that when it comes to being in step with the spirit and the spirit of God is not a dog okay so don't don't go down that path but the point is is that as as he leads there are times where he is trying to pull us come on this is the way that we need to go there are other times though that that we just resist what God has to say If if you're in a habit of resisting what God has to say to you there, the Spirit of God, something happens in your life that you're no longer really kind of hearing the Spirit's voice. Now, with Brady, I gave up taking him for a walk. I tried so often, but it would just end up dragging, dragging, dragging. This looks stupid. This looks like I'm, I'm punishing my dog to make him go on a walk. What happens when we don't listen and we don't stay in step with the Spirit of God is, is this. In First Thessalonians 5.19 it says this. Don't, that's very simple. Don't what? Don't quench the spirit. Don't quench the spirit. If you're gonna rely upon the spirit of God, you don't want to quench the spirit. The spirit is considered, this, this aspect is like that, the spirit of God is like a flame. It's like a fire. And how do you how do you keep a fire lit? you know? You're, you're, you're adding fuel to the fire, you're adding wood to the fire, you're, you're tending to the fire. But to quench the Spirit means to just kind of put out that flame. It means to ignore what God has to say. Where do we primarily hear what God has to say? In here. We ignore it, we don't listen to it, we, we don't keep in step with it when God tells us something. And, and after a while, that voice of God speaking that used to feel so strong, maybe when we were first became a Christian is feeling like this small whisper and we're just not even sure we're hearing from God anymore. This is not to quench the spirit. In the reverse side of that, if we want to truly hear from God and, 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 and latch on to the power that we get from Him, we need to continue to feed that fire. And, a, and as simple as it sounds, it really boils down to there's really two simple ways, I think, for a believer to, well, a few ways for a believer to, to fuel that fire. You know, time in His Word. What does God have to say? On a regular basis, you know, daily, okay? Time in prayer. But then time actually not just kind of in, in, your, uh, in that time, but time exhibiting it, time living it out. Time shared telling people about Christ. Time shared loving people and actually exhibiting the things that we just read a moment ago and what happens when you do that is that fire gets stronger and it gets stronger. The good news is in 1 Corinthians 10, if you'd put that up there for me David, it's not there is no temptation, there's no aspect of our lives that let me just read it. 1 Corinthians 10:13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Spirit of God is, gives us power, gives us strength. God says, hey, I'll give you a way of escape. Let's look at a couple more passages and we'll, we'll be through. Titus chapter 2, let's look at this. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. There's, there's a reason, again, that we're focusing on self-control and these other things. And the reason is, is that we want to be fruitful and effective people in our personal lives, as a church, okay? We want to be able to experience all that God has has given us. And so consider that, and it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, set aside, if you will, the old life, and to live self-controlled, there's that word again, upright, And godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. They're zealous for good works. It's not something that we're always fighting against. We want to live the way that God's called us to live. In 1 Corinthians 9:24, it, it shares this great example. It says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises what? Self-control in all things. If you're going to be an athlete. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but but we do it to receive an imperishable one. He says, so I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. He says, but I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others I, I myself should be disqualified. The reason that That self-control is important is to experience all that God has, but it really boils down to this, too. If we're going to be effective and and productive people, we have have bigger fish to fry, right, than to have to continue to deal with the issues of the past. God has bigger plans for you than to continually deal with issues from the past. You know? The issue that we talked about with the trainer, the trainer has been called to, to make other people healthy. He's been... He's been called to strengthen people, to to teach them how to really exhibit the best diet and and exercise, to live life physically to the best way that they can. But if he's struggling with his own issues, he's missing out on what he's really been called to do. And see, God is wanting us to really be um, what he's called us to be. And if we're continually struggling with with issue after issue after issue, we're never going to be able to fully hit our stride. We're never going to truly be the people that he's called us to be. We've got bigger fish to fry than to deal with issue after issue. Because we have a calling, and we're going to look at this last verse, and we're going to make our way to the pool. Okay, In 2 Corinthians 5.17, this is what it says. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone's a Christian, if anyone's following Jesus, he's a new creation, brand new. The old has passed away. Behold, the, the the new has come. And we're celebrating that with Ellie today. She gets baptized. It says, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself, reconciled us to himself because if you read Genesis, the first book of the Bible, it talks about how Adam and Eve, of course, sinned, and because of that sin, there was a separation, there was a problem there between mankind and God. Sin had to be dealt with. And so this aspect of reconciliation means is that, and we, and we know this, and you've probably heard this before, of course, is that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, so that we could be forgiven, the past would be gone, we would have a brand new life. And our job as, as Christians goes beyond the, the, the issues of dealing with self-control and our other kinds of problems. The whole point is, is that we're supposed to be reconcilers. In other words, telling the rest of creation, telling other people that we meet, do you realize because of what Jesus has done, first of all, He loves you, and He can forgive your past life and give you a brand new life that the old is gone, it's forgiven, it's done for, and you have a brand new life. And so we're reconcilers. Do you know what Jesus has done? Do you know that He cares for you, that He loves you, that He's forgiven you? Do you realize that? That's what we're called to do. It says, all this is from God who, through Christ, reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses, another fancy word for sin, against them. Not having to to worry about sin any longer, but He says, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors are representative, right? And God... It says, and God is making his appeal through us, through the church, through, through Christians. He says, I'm using you to tell people about that. So they can really understand that, that life, what life really has to offer because of me. And so he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, because of what Jesus has done, we are, we are considered righteous and holy people, new people, brand new, as if we had never sinned. And as we are getting ready to um, to head into the head to the pool, which is a very large baptistry for us this morning. That picture, I hope of of new life, of the old being past and the new come. Keep that in your mind as we as we head to the pool, because what, what scripture teaches is that and this is and baptism is, is a picture of this. It talks about when, when baptism is a picture of when someone goes under the water, that their old that's symbolic of their old life is dead. It's gone. And then as they come out of the water, that they're they're raised, if you will, because of Christ, you know, there's more scripture to support all this, it's a symbolic of new life, of everything that, that Christ has done. And so we're gonna we're going to head that head that way. And um, oh good, looks like someone found the lights in there. Glad to hear that. Or see that rather. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to I'm going to ask um, Diane if you can kind of follow her in a second. She's going to take you down this hallway into the pool and over onto the bleachers. And if you would be patient with us, I want to make sure that we are ready to go. We'll be heading into the water in just a moment. But if you'd meet us out there, want to head that direction.